today on the Ward Preacher Podcast. Comedies, tragedies, and histories during the reign of the judges. I'm Brett Jensen, and this is the Ward Preacher Podcast. Alright, our Come Follow Me curriculum for this coming week will bring us to the book of Judges in the Old Testament. There is so much in this book. Uh, the Come Follow Me reading specifies only certain chapters. You should absolutely read it all. Some of it is stuff you might not expect or understand, uh, but it's absolutely worth studying. We're going to go ahead and dig into some of my favorites in this book, beginning with a man named Ehud. The children of Israel, after the days of Joshua, had fallen into idolatry. They began serving Ashtoreth, who was specifically forbidden them uh, by Moses in, uh, when they were wandering before they came to Canaan. And so in the process of their wickedness, they fell into bondage to Moab. And it was for a substantial number of years. Let's go ahead and, and do some reading here in Judges chapter 3, starting in verse 14. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed, and by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. But Ehud made him a dagger, which had two edges of a cubit length, and he did gird it under his raiment upon his right thigh. And he brought the present unto Eglon, king of Moab, and Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had made an end to offer the present, he sent away the people that bear the present, but he himself turned again from the quarries that were by Gilgal, and said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king, who said, Keep silence, and all that stood by him went out from him. And Ehud came unto him, and he was sitting in a summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. And Ehud said, I have a message from God unto thee. And he arose out of his seat, and Ehud put forth his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And the haft also went in after the blade, and the fat closed upon the blade so that he could not draw the dagger out of his belly, and the dirt came out. Absolutely phenomenal story. I love it. Um... So Ehud is kind of a bold guy. He was kind of on his own there when he decides uh, that the Lord wants him to assassinate the king of Moab. And then, uh, of course, he, he sneaks away. And the servants are too afraid to interrupt whatever secret business uh, King Eglon might have been doing. And they waited and they waited until they were ashamed, the scriptures uh, read, 
but it, of course, at that point, it was already too late. Ehud was gone. He called and rallied together an army of Israelites, and they defeated the Moabites and uh, gained their freedom. Uh, courageous fat, uh, courageous man prevails over fat monarch and saves the kingdom. It's it's a tale as old as time. Uh, absolutely, just hilarious, just great. Okay. Deborah and Barak. Again, Israel did wickedly, and they found themselves under the king of Canaan, a man named Jabin, whose captain was Sisera. And a prophetess, Deborah, arose. Through inspiration, she helped a valorous man named Barak to gather an army and overthrow Sisera. Barak agrees to, to be involved in this only if Deborah agrees to come with him. And she prophesies in this almost Lord of the Rings kind of way, you know, no man shall slay him sort of thing. Uh, she prophesies that uh, he would not be the one to kill Sisera, but a woman would. Um, and so Beric agrees to go and they, they have a, a big battle in the which Israel prevails but Sisera runs away and takes refuge in the tent of Jael, the wife of Heba the Kenite. Um, and here's where we come to our absolutely entertaining reading. Uh, this is Judges chapter 4, starting in verse 18. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said unto him, Turn in, my lord, turn in to me, fear not. And when he had turned in unto her into the tent, she covered him with a mantle. And he said unto her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. And she opened a bottle of milk, and gave him drink, and covered him. Again he said unto her, Stand in the door of the tent, and it shall be when any man doth come and inquire of thee, and say, Is there any man here? That thou shalt say, No. Then Jael the Heber's wife took a nail of the tent, and took an hammer in her hand, and went softly unto him, and smote the nail into his temples, and fastened it into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary, so he died. Uh, incredible story. This is absolutely one of my favorites. And you can see it inspired people, uh, if you ever do some reading in the Apocrypha, uh, there are some other stories that they believe are, you know, more made up. But it also, uh, there's a history of a, a woman who does something similar, tricks someone to come in and gets rid of them. This is a little bit different. Um, uh, this one actually happened uh, where he thought he was safe. He was not safe. And in the process, they succeed in overthrowing Jobin and again prosper as they serve the Lord. Uh, this is this is important that we're looking for inspiration from the Lord, and we're not looking to other sources. A reoccurring theme we'll come back to. All right. So years pass, and Israel is again in bondage. This time in bondage to the Midianites. If we remember, Moses's father-in-law Jethro was the high priest of Midian. These Midianites were prevailing at this point, and they had. Uh, essentially dominated over Israel. Gideon is called to deliver Israel from bondage. Now, 
knowing that the people needed God's help and wanting to serve the Lord, he snuck out at night with a group of his friends, some vandals, and they cut down the altar and the grove that are meant to honor Baal. Now, when the people discovered that Gideon was behind it, they demand that his father Joash release him to them so that they can, you know, get him. <laughs> and Joash, uh, Gideon's father, calls out, Will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? And then later, if he be a god, let him plead for himself, because one hath cast down his altar. Well, they seem to agree that Baal should reasonably be able to defend himself if he were upset, and they let Gideon alone. This earned Gideon the nickname Jerubael, which means, let Baal plead. <laughs> let him plead for himself. So in several places, they'll uh, refer to Gideon as Gideon Jerubael. Um, eventually, there's another place in the scriptures where they call him Jerubosheth, uh, which was meant to be like something more shameful um, because Baal was a shameful thing and they didn't want to say Baal, so they replaced it. And you'll see that later with one of Saul's sons, uh, who they call in the scriptures Ishbosheth. Anyway, that's, that's for uh, the book of Samuel. Um, Gideon wants to make sure that he's following the Lord. So he asks for a sign. He puts a fleece out and asks the Lord to make the dew of the morning. Only get the fleece wet and leave the rest of the ground completely dry. And it happens. And then the next day he pleads, asking the Lord not to be angry and to be patient, that this time, just so he can be confident, that the fleece should be dry and the ground all around it soaking wet. And God does this as well. Now, in the past, we've talked about seeking a sign, but this is a little bit different. This is uh, wanting confirmation of God's will. Gideon was very uh, careful to make sure he was doing what the Lord wanted. It wasn't demanding that God prove himself. Uh, it was him wanting to be sure he was proving himself to God. Uh, and it makes a difference. When we approach God with humility, it makes a difference. He will do greater things. And he demonstrates this. The Lord uh, has Gideon raise this army, and then, you know, thousands of men are there, tens of thousands of men. And the Lord says, yeah, that's too many. He wanted them to understand that it was not their battle plan or their strength of arms, the size of their, their army that was going to save them. He was going to save them. So he tells Gideon, tell everybody who doesn't want to be there, they can go home. And then they're down to about 10,000. They've got half of the people left. And he brings them to the water to observe how they drink. And about 300 men lap water from their hand and the rest kneel down on their knees. Um, and he says, by those 300 men who lapped water from their hand, will I save Israel. The rest were dismissed. So this band of 300 break in and sneak into the, the Midianite camp carrying pitchers that cover lamps, and they're carrying trumpets. And this is where we'll 
have a little reading in Judges chapter 7, starting in verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came outside unto the camp in the beginning of the middle watch, and they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and brake the pitchers that were in their hands, and the three companies blew the trumpets and brake the pitchers, and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal, and they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp, and all the host ran and cried and fled. And the three hundred blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. And the host fled to Beth Shittah in Zerath, and to the border of Abel Meloah, and to Tabath. Okay, so Gideon prevails. By this band of 300, he was able to overcome this large Midianite army that was oppressing Israel. Now, they offer Gideon to be become king, but Gideon refuses. He judges Israel as those who have gone before, but he's not interested in personal ambition. Now, this is something that we can kind of contrast with one of his sons. He has a son by a concubine, uh, and the son's name is Abimelech, and he aspires to become the first king of Israel as heir of Gideon. And so he finds 70 of his brothers, and he conspires to have them killed, leaving him free to then ascend to leadership. This does not end well. His conspiracy to kill for power ends up, surprise, surprise, in a conspiracy against him to get him out of power. This is always a bad idea, these secret combinations where people think they can, you know, just kill and take what they want. There are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. All right. A woman of the Danites uh, named Manoah was visited by an angel and promised a son. She had been barren, but uh, the angel indicated that this son was going to be special. He was to become a Nazarite from birth. There are certain guidelines in the Law of Moses that that entailed, including avoiding any kind of alcohol or cutting his hair. And this was a part of the vow of the Nazarite. By this son of Manoah, God would deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. The son who was born was named Samson. Samson um, grew very strong. He was well favored. He was a powerful young man. And um, in spite of his parents' wishes, he decided he had fallen in love with a Philistine woman. And he wanted to marry her. And eventually, they arranged for this marriage. While traveling, uh, Samson comes across a lion. And even though he's by himself, he kills the lion with his bare hands. Later, a swarm of bees makes a hive in the lion carcass, and he takes the honey uh, out of it, shares it with some people. And then it gets him to thinking. He decides he's going to have a little fun. He's going to make a bet. Make a wager. 
he gives he tells the Philistines that he's talking to a riddle. And he says, if you can guess its true meaning, then I will give you 30 changes of raiment, 30 outfits. But if you cannot guess it, you provide me the 30 changes of raiment. Um, so the King James Version says it like this, out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. Or to make it rhyme, I sometimes like to say, out of the eater comes something to eat, out of the killer comes something sweet. It's not exactly what's in the scriptures, but it's easier for me to remember. Um, either way, that's the riddle. The Philistines have no idea what he's talking about. So they pressure Samson's wife to divulge the secret. And she weeps and she cries and eventually she finds out and tells them... And they come to him at the end of, of this feast on the seventh day and declare the answer to the riddle. What's stronger than a lion and what's sweeter than honey? Now, Samson knew what they had done. Um, they had pressured his wife into it. And he tells them, you know, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, then it would have been the other way around. So kind of as a way to get back at them, he goes over to uh, the Philistine fortress of Ashkelon, kills 30 men, and takes their clothes. There's the 30 changes of raiment, and presents that as the prize to these Philistines. You know, here you go, 30 outfits for you. Uh, it's, it's not a great scene. They're very upset. Everyone is kind of upset. Samson leaves the area. Uh, the Philistines kind of think he's he's gone back to Israel. He's spending time there. He's left his wife. Um, eventually, though, Samson decides he wants to see his wife again. Uh, and he comes back. But her father had given her to another because he assumed that Samson hated her. So Samson, not very happy with this outcome, catches 300 foxes and then takes pairs of foxes tying firebrands between the tails of these pairs and sets them loose in the Philistine fields and vineyards, burning them all to ashes. Uh, the Philistines are upset at this, and they find out that the thing that provoked Samson was this man and his daughter, Samson's wife. So they take them and burn them to death. Now, Samson is not happy about that. So to avenge uh, them, Samson goes and kills all the Philistines who were involved in that. Of course, the most famous story regarding Samson is how he fell in love with a woman in the Valley of Sorak, whose name was Delilah. The Philistines tell her to find out the secret of Samson's strength. They're tired of being bested by him. But eventually, after repeated failures, Samson tells about his vow. They cut his hair, and they bind him, and they bring him to the fortress of Gaza in fetters, and put out his eyes. The scriptures note that his hair had begun to grow back by the time that they brought him out to mock and torment him. 
and he asks one of the people who are there to help him find the pillar of the house so he can lean because he's weary. And when he finds it, he prays to God for one last bit of strength and to let him die with the Philistines. And he brings down the house. He careens into this uh, pillar, brings it down, and it's said that he killed more Philistines in that moment than he did the rest of his life combined. A tragic end for Samson. On the subject of tragedy, let's discuss briefly the tragedy of Gibeah. A Levite comes with one of his concubines from Bethlehem. At the end of the day, instead of staying in Jerusalem, which was at that time not inhabited by Israelites, they go to a city that is inhabited by Israelites, Gebeah, which is inhabited by the tribe of Benjamin. The men of Benjamin are not good. They take this concubine and abuse her, eventually killing her in a brutal manner. The Levite is horrified. And he calls on Israel to bring justice to these wicked men by cutting up the body of this concubine into pieces and delivering it to the various tribes so they can see for themselves how awful uh, the deeds of the tribe of Benjamin had been. The other tribes agree to bring their armies and attack Benjamin. Benjamin fights boldly, but in the end, they killed 25,000 of the tribe of Benjamin, and left only about 600 men in the tribe. That's important because God nearly sacrificed one of the tribes of Israel to deal justice to those who should have known better. The humble circumstances in which Benjamin would, was left, that, become, that will become important later. In a couple of uh, weeks, we'll talk about how that plays a role. But this is important to understand. No one is free from keeping the commandments. The themes of Judges are consistent. Obedience brings success. Disobedience brings disaster. It's also true that everyone serves someone or something. You could be serving the Midianites or the Moabites or uh, any number of other tribes but it's always better to serve the Lord than to serve Baal or some other kingdom. Tragedy is inevitable. There are bad things that will happen even to people that don't deserve them. Deliverance requires us turning to the source who can save us. In the end, if we put our faith in God, he truly has power to save us all. We appreciate all the support for the Word Preacher podcast. Next week, we will be looking at Ruth and the first few chapters in 1 Samuel. As I mentioned before, there is a ton of stuff that we did not cover in the book of Judges. It is absolutely worth reading that independently and with your family. And of course, as always, fight on.